0: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by a real £5 note to a fake £5 note. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm not bad considering Derby Day defeat. I took it better than I thought. I think there are bigger things at play for Derby at the moment than uh, an than A52 Derby defeat, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. How are you?
0: And you got showered with £5 notes as well. What what a great weekend it's been. On the show this week, oh, we've got Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shore and View. Johnny, you all right? I'm not too bad. Uh, nice has gone back to winning ways. So I'm in a better mood than I would have been last week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, here's Patch Warner from the Bristol City podcast. Three peeps
2: in a podcast. Patch, are you well? I am well. And I'm also buoyant after uh, beating Cardiff at home, having beat them away as well this season. So uh, effectively done the double and we're the Kings... Of the River 7.
0: Don't boast about it too much. Uh, Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, your second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games from the past weekend, including the East Midlands derby later on. Then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days and finish off with Simon Grayson's hopeful eight right at the end. Sheffield United got back to winning ways by beating Luton 2-0. Johnny, it seemed to be a very one-sided game, was it?
3: Yeah, there's no easy way of putting this. I can't get too excited after that win because it was like playing a training game. Um, No disrespect to Luton at at their ground. They mullered us. That 0-0 for them must have felt like a 4-0 at their place. But yesterday, first half, really, really boring. Not a lot happened. But second half, I think they all got a kick up backside. And uh, we just went at them, chance after chance after chance. And unlike us, we actually took some this time.
0: Yeah, Justin, are you surprised at how how one sided it was, considering Luton have been in good form and obviously Sheffield United not so much?
1: I think. The, the second half, that five minutes, just absolutely killed Luton. You, you t- keep it tight going into the the into the second half. And then uh, the opposition, Sheffield United in this case, score very early on. It, it takes the wind out of your sails. And obviously, Sheffield United got a second. And then that just killed any hope of a, of a comeback for Luton. So I am surprised they were um, second back considering how far they took Bournemouth last week. But at the same time, Sheffield I took the chances. Uh, and as I say, just just absolutely killed Luton off.
0: Yeah, definitely. Rene Brewster got on the score sheet from the Blades, just his third goal of the season. Obviously, Johnny, since he moved to Bramall Lane a year and a half ago, it's not worked out really well, has it in fact? It's been a bit of a disaster. But uh, why has it gone so wrong? And are you getting a bit of hope from him that he could still be a success for the Blades?
3: I'm still convinced he missed it as he fell over in it ball yesterday. But the, <laughs> I don't care how they go in, as long as they go in. Uh, the thing is with Ryan, he's a good lad. All players love him and you want to see him do well. Whether it's a case that that old adage price tag on his head has kind of knocked his confidence or whatever, I, I don't personally buy into that. I just don't think we've played him right. I think we've we've tried everything we we've played Matt Wyde, but stuck him behind the strikers. We've done everything other than what Swansea didn't just stick him up front. And every
0: time we do that, it seems to bag a goal. It's quite simple, isn't it? Play him in the right position. Uh, finally, Johnny, you're eight points off the top six with games in hand on virtually everybody. Could you give us a percentage chance right now of Sheffield United finishing there? And what uh, would you what would you say it is?
3: Uh, 20% chance of us going in playoffs because we're Sheffield United. We don't win games in hand. <laughs> Never happens. We don't, we don't win games in hand. We don't win playoff finals. <laughs> Two things that we just don't do. So uh, I'm not that hopeful. But the, the, there's a romantic side to me that thinks... This this could be it. now. I reckon Bottoms in charge. We've taken over from Slav Ball. We're not playing with Iron Curtain anymore, and uh, we could get some feel-good factor behind the team. But I'm a United fan. I've seen it all before. So twenty percent.
0: Fair enough. Bristol City were the winners in the seven-side derby. They beat Cardiff three-two. Bit of a roller coaster game, wasn't it, Patch?
2: Yeah, it was. Um, I was sat in my seat about twenty minutes before kick-off, and the atmosphere was building really, really nicely. And then the first half an hour was sort of one to forget, really, because we lost two players early doors to injury and Andy King and Rob Atkinson. So there was a bit of reorganisation going on there. And Cardiff were coming at us, to be fair. Um, Our our old friends, Marlon Pack and Aidan Flint were causing some problems. Uh, But, yeah, the the last sort of 60 minutes, we we took control, really, and and dominated Cardiff. Um, Three excellent finishes, uh, two from Chris Martin, who's... Been rejuvenated in recent weeks after having a little bit of a rest. He um, he was the first name on the team sheet seemingly for the, the large parts of the season so far. But um, we changed it up a little bit in the last few games, and he is off the back of that rest looks a different player. Um, and yesterday, getting two goals on top of being important at, at corners, you know, for us defending corners. Um yeah, he was our man of the match on the podcast yesterday. And Antoine Semeno as well. Um again in the last few games, he has come on leaps and bounds, has to he's come back from injury. Um and he was causing the the Cardiff defense all sorts of problems with his with his aggression, his pace and power. And how he didn't score yesterday, I'll I'll, I'll never know. But the score lines seem seem to flatter Cardiff a little bit for me. Um we should have probably won, you know, we should have got four or five goals. Um, but they obviously got that goal at the end, and it finished three two. But uh, yeah, it was a roller coaster game. Um, but atmosphere was great twenty one thousand plus and change at Ashton Gate yesterday. And yeah, it's uh, it's the double. Justin agrees that Chris Martin was man of the match. But being a diehard Derby fan, he says it
0: was tears streaming down his face. Um, here's a question for you, Patch: Who do you dislike more, Bristol Rovers or Cardiff?
2: Bristol Rovers. Um, the reason being. I yeah, I've got family members uh, not in my immediate family. I must add um, that I've married into some Bristol Rovers fans. Uh, I've got close friends who are Rovers fans. People I work with. I don't know any Cardiff fans, so there's not that 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 sort of inbuilt emotion around me. Um, But saying that, we we haven't played Bristol Rovers for for quite some time now. I think it was probably six or seven years since we played them in the JPT, Um, and. I feel bad for for the the generation, the younger generation, who like when I was growing up, we were playing them twice a season, you know, in the same league and having battles in 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 the league. Um, and I was I would be very nervous when we would play Bristol Rovers. When we played Cardiff yesterday, it was more excitement than nerves. So mm. for that reason, it's got to be Bristol Rovers. But you know, it's it's all we 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 uh, we're we're enemies on on the pitch and some of us friends or family members of the pitch <laughs> uh, let, let's look at Bristol City and how
0: Nigel Pearson's doing what what have you actually made of how he's done this season are fans willing to be a bit patient with him because Bristol City <clears throat> going through a bit of a transition at the moment
2: yeah and I think that's one thing to remember it, it is a transition it was always going to be a three-year plan he he came in at the end at the end well towards the the end of last season and we went on a, a terrible losing streak and quite frankly uh, seemingly half the players had their their feet on the beach or um or on holiday wherever they were going um from about 12 games it from the end um and we just coasted uh and at that point Nigel Pearson was blooding in a few youngsters which has been great for them um and sort of finding out about some of the players different attitudes but I don't think there's many managers like Nigel Pearson. It, it seemingly is sort of his way or the highway. You're on the bus or you're not on the bus. But if I can take you all kicking and screaming back to, to A-level A-level business studies, um, where there was that model of forming, storming, norming and performing. There's been a there's been a lot of forming. There's been a lot of storming, shakedown. People have come completely off the bus. They're really back in the bus station in the toilet, some players um but we're slowly coming out of that into the norming stage and they're seeing some performances so uh, there you go a bit of a level uh business studies for everybody but yeah it, we've seemingly now settled on a three four sort of one two formation um and it's just filling some of those positions now that we've got a tiny bit of square pegs in round holes but uh, and players are adapting to, to new positions. But, um, yeah, it's starting to sort of come out the other side now. He's, he, was, he was upsetting, fans isn't probably the right word, but it was sort of a bit of a split with his approach, um, sort of sitting in the stands uh, as opposed to being on the touchline. He, he, he um, in recent months, has been on the touchline, more animated, And I think for me, where we were, we needed that visibility of the leadership. Um, So that's sort of been addressed. He's also started clapping the fans as well, whereas he was always clapping the players and the opposing players and pat pat their backs as they came off. But now, uh, in the last couple of games, he's actually addressing the fans as well. So building that relationship with the fans, which for me is fantastic. So yeah, it's um, it's good times at the moment. He's still got still got some ex, some sections of the fan base to uh, to to um, get on side, if you like. But um, more than not, I'd say are, are on Nigel Pearson's bus. Quick word on Cardiff, Justin. Who are just hovering above the relegation zone, aren't they?
0: Two points from six games. I know it's a bit pointless talking about hypotheticals, but it is. If it wasn't for points deductions at other clubs, then Cardiff would be five points from safety. In the bottom three, they are having a really poor season, aren't they? Ah,
1: oh, that's, that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? It's been a it's been a bit of a disaster. I think one criticism I have is is what good is possession based play when you can't defend? And um, the goals the goals um, Cardiff conceded yesterday were were fully self inflicted. And uh, Bristol City did did work them well, but at the same time, Cardiff. Gave them the uh, the goals essentially, and it's it's really frustrating to see that because you look at the experience of of the likes of Aiden Flint, Curtis Nelson, um, and the, and the, you know, the putting off what they're putting off. It's frustrating. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Do worry for Cardiff, but again, they might they might be very fortunate in the fact that teams below them are also very very poor and have had point deductions. So that's a bit of a get out of jail get get out of jail card for for Cardiff at the moment. Yeah, definitely, Johnny and Patch.
0: Sounds a bit like a designer men's clothing brand, that, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, me and Justin are going to go around the grounds. We'll begin with the East Midlands Derby, where Forest ran out 2-1 winners against uh, Derby.
1: (laughs) That was confusing. Justin, what did you make of the game? I thought the game itself was a typical Derby game, uh, relatively cagey, quite dull. Um, I think, in the end, Forest deserved to win because obviously they, they took their chances when when they were presented with them. Derby didn't. Obviously, Tom Lawrence had a really good chance in the first half, um, and I, and I thought the tactical switch by Cooper sort of um, midway through the first half really swung the odds into into Forest's favour. There'll be an overrun quite often in midfield um, when they're playing the three at the back. Um, they put the extra man in midfield and allowed Garner a bit more further forward and he started to orchestrate things he was man of the match for me I thought it was absolutely brilliant um, ran in midfield, dominated the game and just goes to show how wasted he was under Houghton playing as part of a, a two, two-man two midfield anchor um, because if you allow him to have a little bit more of a licence he can really influence the game and he did that today but Forest fully deserving of the win disappointed in Derby overall I think they could have offered a lot more but the second half they were pretty flat which is um, quite complimentary actually Yeah, Forest were definitely
0: the better side for me. There was that Lawrence chance early in the game. If that had gone in, it probably would have been a completely different result, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But across the 90 minutes, I thought Forest were fairly comfortable, to be honest. There were a lot of notable moments on the day, weren't there? Exactly what you'd expect in this type of fixture. You had the end of game pushing and shoving scenes <laughs> that you say you don't want to see on a football pitch but we all secretly actually do you had forest fans showering derby fans with <laughs> fake banknotes i mean derby's future is no laughing matter but that did make me snigger it was um, it was quite funny um and then of course the egg on Bree Samba's head christ mm. almighty justin it was huge I don't yeah. think I've had blisters that
1: big. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be horrified if you had. Um, yeah, it was it was quite quite shocking, really, um, seeing that because I, I saw the um, images at half-time. I did not expect him to come out, but he came out all bandaged, bandaged up, looking like a, a warrior. Um, and fair play to him; he's a he's a he's a hard he's a hard nut, isn't he? And that is um, yeah. It's just it's just yeah, strange, strange that it, it swelled up like that. Yeah, very weird. Mm. It was a bit like a cartoon bump wasn't it something <laughs> that
0: you'd seen like tom and jerry where yeah. they press the bump down and then it appears on the other side of his head instead it was a uh, it was amazing how big it was but speaking of bruce samba he is a shithouse master isn't oh, he he's like yeah. a, a shithouse jedi because I, I think one of the reasons derby lost is because forest mastered the occasion so well and mm-hmm. i thought some of the derby players were a bit rattled by the housing of the forest players
1: but a. Uh, Bruce Samba was the man in charge in that regard wasn't he? Yeah you've got to play the occasion haven't you in Derby games and as you say Forrest did it really well I think Rooney mentioned in his post-match press conference that Forrest was taking a while on free kicks and it's just part and parcel of the the, the game you've got to keep your head, you've got to keep cool and and Derby didn't Um, Samba yeah you're quite right to point him out don't know why he's got to come and uh, get involved with Morrison, but he does, and I think that sparks sparks the the game even more so in Forest's favour. and it's quite late, but um, it just gets Derby players, as you say, quite rattled and they lose their heads very very quickly, and they're unable to to carve anything out in that last sort of five or six minutes, which they've been able to do quite often this season.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Steve on Twitter, who's a Forrest fan, asks Can you recommend a
0: good hotel in the Wembley area? Asking for a friend. (laughs) Uh, Forrest just four points off the top six now, and I've been ringing the bell for Forrest to finish in the top six this season, Justin. I'm looking at the table now, thinking it's looking very handsome for Steve Cooper's boys. What are you
1: thinking? Yeah, I tell you what, that that front three I think works really well and in Forrest's favour. I don't think Keenan Davis is particularly prolific, and he won't be prolific this season that's not a criticism the way he brings the likes of Lewis Graben into the game and Brennan Johnson being able to create space out wide um, I think he's going to be a real asset and a massive massive player for Forrest for the second half of the season which could swing the odds in their favour they've, la- they've lacked that player who's got the ability to play with his back to goal bringing in someone like Keenan Davis can get the best out of the players around him and as I say that front three of Graben just sort of ghosting around wherever he wants he's a goal scorer picked up a goal uh, in the game and um, by doing what he does best, and you've got Brandon Johnson, who's, who's dynamic, and then Jed Spence as well. There's there's a lot of options now for Forrest, which I think yeah does swing the odds quite quite favourably towards them. Yeah, I, I agree. I struggle to find question marks
0: with Forest. You go through the individuals in their strongest eleven, and it's difficult to find a weakness, really, isn't it? They've got loads yeah. of depth, and I mean, just look at the Derby game at the weekend. They were missing their best centre half in Joe yeah. Worrell. They changed things around and. They're also still looking to strengthen in January too. It's worth keeping in mind. Jed Wallace has been linked. If he goes, then I'll be surprised if they're not in the top six at the end of the season. Because he'll be a game-changer, won't he? But most importantly, they've got a top-class manager in Steve Cooper, who I rate tremendously highly. Worth pointing out, he's finished in the top six in every season he's been a manager too. So they're looking really good value for the playoffs in my eyes. Derby's hopes are staying up, Justin.
1: They weren't really harmed too much, were they? Considering every team around them lost. Yeah, when you look at the the disarray, the likes of Cardiff and Reading are in at the moment, and Barnsley as well, Peterborough lost as well. It, you know, it was a good weekend for them. Just a shame they couldn't pick up any points. Um, but it was perhaps one game too far for them. And the emotions of the the last sort of week or so probably took its toll on the team and the players and the management squ- um, team as well. Um, but it's a chance for them to go again and prove that they are they are worthy of um, staying in the championship.
0: Absolutely. The shock result of the weekend came at the Vitality Stadium as Bournemouth were beaten 1-0 by Hull. Just want to say, I called this on the second tier betting show. New episode out on Thursday. Kirk Tovey <laughs> is from the Bournemouth YouTube channel Cherry's Red Army. Kirk, are you a bit concerned about how things are going at your club at the moment?
4: Yesterday, we did not execute what should have been a offensive, forward thinking lineup. The first half was made up of spits and spurts and us playing in waves. And although we had chances through Christie, Dom Solanke, Marcondes, we didn't pin back whole city for long enough and really apply pressure for 10 15 minutes. And that allowed them to be able to go in at half time, nil nil. And then it was. Whole City sort of showed more ambition in early stages of that second half and it felt again like Preston. And when they scored, the worrying concern for Bournemouth fans is that Scott Parker failed to really switch up a formation that allowed us to get that equaliser. And with nine minutes added on, it's a real worry that as a home team in the top two of the league that we weren't knocking the door down and we didn't really offer anything in front of goal to try and get back in the game. Yeah, two wins in 10 games now for Bournemouth. Um, what has been going
0: wrong recently?
4: Our form over the last few months has really been a mixed bag. But if you were to talk to Cherry's fans, the bigger question is that they've been concerned with performances all season, even in the unbeaten 15. A lot of fans have been saying that we have been lucky in some of those games and we're not getting the luck anymore. And if you're not getting the luck, you then need to be convincing and actually force your own luck. And maybe that's where we're coming a little bit unstuck at the moment. And formations, players maybe not playing in right positions are being argued and not being able to switch up these formations in games. And Parker's been asked about what he has in a plan B. And he did say recently that he didn't think he needed a plan B. They just needed to execute plan A a lot better and Maybe that'll get questioned when we come to the end of the season and we know our own fate.
0: Well, how frustrated are fans with Scott Parker? Do they think he's to blame or do they think it's possibly down to something else?
4: We have to remember that Scott Parker wasn't completely the favourite when appointed by the club back at the start of the season. It was very much 60-40 in favour when we ran a survey on Cherrys Army. But that unbeaten 15, getting the points on the board, regardless of the performances... Helped him definitely, but as performances did drop off and the form became inconsistent, you did feel we were one big performance, one loss away from a knee jerk reaction. And it does feel over the weekend that we're getting that knee jerk reaction now. Fans are questioning if Parker has the ability to change this, have the impact, and does he have the answers? And maybe transfers are required in certain areas of our team just to maybe tick us over between now and the end of the season and get us in those automatic places will definitely guarantee us playoffs. But pressure's on for Scott Parker and he's going to need to do some serious work to change opinions and, and get this promotion push back on track. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah, for anyone wondering how this game went, it went exactly how
0: you would have expected it to, really, when you've got a team near the bottom of the table fighting a team uh, near the top and getting a shock result. Bournemouth dominated the whole game. Hall get one good chance late on and then win it. Grant McCann was asked after the game about Bournemouth having 70% possession. He replied, they can have all the possession they want. We got the three points and you can't really argue with that, can you, Justin?
1: No, it's it's a good way of looking at things. I think from from a team who are uh, sort of in and around the, the bottom half of the table, are going away to a top top team in Bournemouth, um, they they managed the game fairly well. I think you can argue that they were fortunate to come away with the three points that Bournemouth were misfiring in front of goal. But you've got to take advantage of that, uh, as a uh, as a team coming um, well away from home, essentially, and obviously going to a top top team in Bournemouth. The longer the game goes on, the longer the game stills nil nil, uh, stays nil nil. The more hope you're going to give the opposition, and fortunately for Hull, they they took their chance when it came and they were able to defend it. You know the the issues lie with with Bournemouth, and I think Scott Parker was very critical of the of the team in his post match presser, which tells you exactly what they need to get right over the next few weeks. Yeah, definitely. We'll get, I'll go on to Bournemouth in just a sec. Just
0: wanted to give praise to Hull again, because yeah. they are riding the crest of a wave at the moment, aren't they? The new owners have given everyone a massive boost. Everyone's feeling positive at the club. And it's just amazing how something like this off the pitch can just completely change the mood of a club and then turn into results on the pitch. I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it, where we talk about clubs who are in a bit of a rut and things are just not good at the club in general. Hull are the complete opposite right now, aren't they? And mm-hmm. they look like they're only moving up the table and not looking over their shoulder anymore. Uh, six points from Blackburn and Bournemouth without conceding a goal. Not bad, is it? All fans would have laughed at you if you told them (laughs) that was going to happen last week. But it is good to see, because they've not had an enjoyable few years under the Alums, have they? And looking good again. Ten points clear of the bottom three now. It's looking a distant memory, really, isn't it? Uh, Two wins from ten for Bournemouth. What are you thinking after this, Justin? I suppose you've actually kind of answered that question already, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I think... The, the, the amount of chances they created, you look at that and you go, oh, okay, that, that's fine. Um, they are performing fine. <laughs> um, it's just putting those chances away. But you look at the the issues that West Rom have had um, and how how much it's impacted them in the table and how much they've dropped off. It can it can spread. And I think Scott Parker's got a massive job on his hands to, I won't say turn it around because it's not it's not that sort of form Um, but two wins in ten really is bad and when you look at Fulham who are as ruthless as they are Bournemouth have got to be the same they were like that sort of earlier on in the season when they had that unbeaten run Um, they were clinical defensively and clinical going forwards and that seems to have dropped off massively at the moment it seems to be result by result game by game which sort of needs to change They need to get back into what made them good, which was, you know, building from the back, being a good press inside, um, and not being too pedestrian in, in possession as well.
0: I'd actually disagree with you what you were saying about the chances. You look at the game, all the chances came in the first half, and essentially the first twenty minutes really. At that point, Bournemouth fans were probably thinking this is gonna be a straightforward afternoon, but they seemed to take the foot off the gas and second half, they created nothing. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. And for a top two team To create absolutely nothing in a whole half of football against a side who's been flirting with relegation all season, that's bad. And with the calibre of players Bournemouth have got, that just simply shouldn't be happening. But who do you point the fingers at? Is it the players? Should they be doing better? Is it the manager? Personally, I'm thinking the manager. Because I think if you had a Chris Wilder or a Steve Cooper, for example, in this team, you'd probably win this game. Or at the very least, not lose. You get a point out of it and say, right just didn't fall our way that day but I mean I've had my doubts over Scott Parker ever since we started this podcast haven't every time he's been in the championship I've questioned him his teams Mm. seem to have spells where they're very good but then also seem to have spells where they're very poor and it seems to happen a lot with Scott Parker teams so he's definitely got his work cut out trying to get his side out of this rut but right now I'm skeptical to say the very least. Uh, There was a good game at the Bet365 Stadium, wasn't there, as it finished Stoke 2, Fulham 3. Ben Rowley's from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, considering Stoke had been destroying, Stoke, Fulham had been destroying anyone who stood in their wake recently. Were you quite pleased with this performance?
5: Yeah, you can probably tell from my croaky voice this morning that you could tell that everybody was up for this game. You know, not only was it a big game, but... The first two goals in the first two minutes just set everybody up beautifully and it set the game up beautifully too it was a massively high tempo game and to be honest if stoke weren't at their best fulham would have just rolled over another game again as they have done in the previous three uh but stoke matched them in many ways and that is such a compliment given the riches and the players that fulham have um yes they were missing their potentially big two up front but you know the fact that they can bring in who they can is 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 great I know that we're we in that position at one point and we let that slip but to be honest to a man we were excellent yesterday there was only possibly James Chester who let us down for the goals um otherwise the new signings especially we're playing at such a level that if we play like that for the rest of the season I'm optimistic Yeah, DiMaggio Wright-Phillips got the goal here, the
0: first goal for Stoke. And it's only been a couple of games, but he's looked quite good so far, hasn't he? Tell us a bit more about him, because I think Stoke fans wanted him in the squad, didn't they?
5: So, yeah, DiMaggio was released by Manchester City last year, I believe. Um, And I think he was disappointed to be let go by them, but he joined Stoke knowing that there's been a lot of young players come through at Stoke City. You know, you look at Tyrese Campbell, Josh Timon, Harry Suter, Nathan Collins, Joe Bersick, amongst many others. Um, and he saw this as an opportunity to get first team football. And yeah, he's had a year in the under-23s and has performed well for them. And I think due to injuries and a lack of form in the team, he's had that opportunity to step up. And boy, has he stepped up. Um He looks dynamic, he looks great with the ball, he's confident, which a lot of the players weren't over Christmas, and he's taken his chance. He got the start in the cup, which we all expected, we didn't expect him to play quite so well, and now he's playing in the league. And to score a goal after mere seconds against Fulham, uh, it will do wonders for his confidence, and it looks like we've got another striking option for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, and Ben, the playoffs are still very much in reach, aren't they? But they have dropped off somewhat because of Stoke's recent form. Has there been a bit of pressure on Michael
5: O'Neill because of the recent results that Stoke have had? I know you mentioned the P word. Um, yeah, O'Neill's coming for a lot of criticism. Not really for the fact that we've dropped out the playoffs. I think it's more the way that we've dropped out, how we've played and his lack of response in matches, I think, and his persistence with certain players. Um but I think to dispose of him would be a unfair due to the amount of injuries we've had, and it's been so critical to the way that he plays, and b really counterproductive too. Um, we've been through years of second managers and replacing them. We've only just got a squad together that he's that a manager is half happy with, you know, and it, and it's only because of injuries that the way that he's playing has sort of deteriorated. With the signings in this transfer window, it looks like he might restore that. And, you know, we're getting the way that he needs to play. We've shown that against Fulham. We're playing good again. And I'm hoping that it was more of a blip rather than a sign for the rest of the season. I'm confident that we can still be in this playoff battle. Cheers, Ben. Yeah, a lot going on
0: in this game, wasn't there? Firstly, it was one all after two minutes, which is good for anyone who had both teams to score in this game. (laughs) Secondly, the quality of goals were just astonishing, Justin. I think at least three of them would have been goal of the weekend contenders in a normal weekend. Lewis Baker got arguably the pick of the bunch, scoring from 25 yards out. I'm I'm very interested to see how he does, Justin, because everyone knows how his career has gone so far. It's been a strange one. But now he's got a new home. I'm interested to see how it works out for him.
1: Yeah, it's those Chelsea shackles, isn't it? Um, you know, players get rewarded big contracts, big long-term contracts, and they have a lot of loan spells. But it doesn't necessarily do them much, much good. You like you look at the likes of uh, Lucas Piazzon, who seemed to be there for decades. Um, only recently left. Izzy Brown's another one. You know, these players would really start to excel if they find a, a permanent home and what we've seen of Lewis Baker so far at Stoke, is he's, he's been very, very good. Um, I know it's only two games, but he's shown his quality, um, both on the ball and off the ball, his, his intelligence with the ball, um, and his, his overall ability and technique is fantastic. He just needs to thrive in a team and have, a, as I say, a permanent home, and you get the best out of him. We look at other players that have left, Tomori, you know, he's playing first-team football at AC Milan. You know, it isn't a dig at Stoke, but sometimes it's better to move on and, and, and as I say find, find your place in the world um, it, it's, the, it's the best way to go about
0: it sometimes yeah he's in this strange kind of category of modern players isn't he where he's been mm. hanging around at a big club for a long time but he's just never been given any game time but I always say with these type of players that club must have seen something in them yeah. otherwise they wouldn't be there so f- to see Baker starting well, I mean, it is only two games, so we won't get carried away. But seeing him starting well is unsurprising, really, isn't it? He's, his spells that he's had before in the Championship are fairly unremarkable. But, mm. as I say, you can't be 26 and still at Chelsea if you're just a Sunday League player, can you? So, mm. yeah, it, there must be some talent there. And hopefully Michael O'Neill is the kind of player who will be... Able to get the most out of him. Because he's a great man-manager, is it. We all know that. Yeah. DiMaggio wright Phillips got his first senior goal. Uh, ben was just talking about him. An incredible celebration. Ben didn't talk about that. He did the classic cartwheel and backflip. I don't think I've ever seen it performed so beautifully. He nearly ended up out of the stadium because he got so much airtime on the flip. It was really <laughs> well done. But a good performance from Stoke, despite the defeat. The win for Fulham and loss for Bournemouth means the Cottages are now eight points clear at the top of the table. Any hopes of a title race uh, fading away? Well, they're quickly, aren't they, Justin?
1: We know Fulham are a good side, and uh, we said a couple of weeks ago um, if they kick up into gear, um, it'll be hard to stop them. And lo and behold, they've scored 19 goals in the last three games, got another three here against uh, against Stoke, who are are a good side. Um, they are a good side, and um, they did it without Mitrovic up front. You know, Rodrigo Muniz led the line very, very well. They still create a lot of chances. Um, so there's a lot to a lot to praise Fulham about this is a this is a good game actually to sort of base them on because obviously when you're wiping the floor with teams it's very hard to to judge them but you look at how how Stoke played and how Fulham overcame that um, yeah very very good team Fulham as we know it's this as I say this game shows what they're what they're capable of as well as winning seven 0 seven nil six nil etc yeah the next six games are
0: Blackpool Millwall Hull Huddersfield Peterborough and Cardiff. You could make an argument for some of those games being tricky, but still difficult to see Fulham dropping points in any of those, isn't it? And when you've got the mm-hmm. ch- chasing sides all faltering, it looks as if it could be done and dusted by the end of February, doesn't it? So <laughs> at least second place is looking tight, I suppose, for the podcast entertainment purposes. West Brom 3, Peter 0. As far as championship games go, this was pretty much as one-sided as it gets, wasn't it? The big shock was that it took West Brom until the 78th minute to score. Otherwise, it could have been a very bad day for Peterborough. I'm talking Fulham-level score lines.
1: I mean, it's probably Peterborough, quite fortunate, they've come up against West Brom who have been really poor in front of goal. Um, And it's probably not a big shock that it took so long to to score um, for for West Brom, given how... um, how poor they've been in front of goal Uh, but you look at the game 27 shots on on goal 6 on target I think it was Kipre had a chance to make it 1-0 and he just literally just passed it to the keeper that's the sort of issues they've been going through but uh, it is a really good really good win in the end and the three goals I think will do everyone the world of good you look at how well Grady Dean Garner took his goal Um, I think I was really really made up for him actually because of how How poor he's been this season, how long confidence he's been, but the the, the way he took the goal, his his touch, his finish, we're we're brilliant and hopefully that will spark him into life. The same with the likes of Callum Robinson and Colin Grant. Colin Grant had a tough time as well, so a lot of positives, even though it took so long, still a lot of positives for West Brom. Much needed, 3-0 win. Yeah, I think ultimately this game just
0: doesn't do anything to change our narratives about both teams, does it? (laughs) Peterborough just abysmal away from home, West Brom wasteful. Weird to say that after a team's just won 3-0, but it's almost like they created so many chances in this game that they had to score eventually. It's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a, a broken clock is right twice a day. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to you know, go their way eventually. Yeah. Peterborough had one shot in this game. Not one shot on target, one shot. They mm. <laughs> tried. Peter. If they got anything from this game, I would have been physically sick. It would have been a complete and utter injustice. <laughs> I suppose the only thing you can really take from this game is that it's a confidence booster for Valerie Ismail and his players, particularly Dean Garner, as you mentioned. Just third. It's their third win in 11 games, Justin. They needed a 3 points, didn't they? So mm-hmm. getting this on the board will hopefully stand them in good stead in the future. Right, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Huddersfield's win at Reading and QPR's win at Coventry. Back to the second tier podcast. There was a crazy game between Reading and Huddersfield. It finished 4-3 to the Terriers. It was actually 3 all at half-time. So people got their money's worth when they went to this game. Um, I I think this was all about the players who scored. Justin, you've got Lucas Schau, his first goal of the season, having missed most of it through injury. George Puskas's first league goal of the season. He hasn't missed any of it through injury. He's just been bad. And then Danny Ward getting a hat-trick. He's becoming Huddersfield's main man for goals. So plenty of headlines from this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, firstly, you've got to be pleased for, for Zhao and Pushkas. Pushkas took his goal really, really well. It's a really good finish um, from a player who is probably short on confidence. So so fair play to him whenever he leaves. <laughs> 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 definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair play to him because, as I say, if he, if he stays or he leaves, that goal should hopefully spark something in him um, to, to, to be more of a threat for Reading, especially if Lucas Zhao still finding his form and his fitness. Um, and then Danny Ward. I mean, who'd have thought that Danny Ward would be the main man for Huddersfield? But I tell you what, he does deserve a lot of praise because he's a player who, as I say, wouldn't have convinced us that he'd be able to lead the line for Huddersfield. For, for but the quality he showed in this game, how hard he works, his touch, I think it was for his first goal, maybe his second, where he's got to take it on his knee, swivel and shoot. So, Mark, he's a good player. He's a very good player and he's guaranteed to hit double figures pretty much. Every season, Um he's got that. He's got that in him. And turning twenty-four, he's not. He's not. He's um, not bad for a player who has, as well, got a bad injury record. So, really pleased for to, for Danny Warden. hopefully he can he can carry on the form because Huddersfield are waiting for others to step up, the likes of Caroma, Sonani, show glimpses. So there's a lot more to come. I think from Huddersfield. It's just whether or not they they can do it.
0: Mm, I'm seeing signs of encouragement from Reading. I think. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on think. They had that disaster week not long ago, didn't they? And they were fairly poor when they lost to Luton. But this was a good performance. They've got Lucas Shaw back as well, so it's only small green shoots, but it's something at the very least. They continue to be the team that the relegation zone sides are looking at to overtake, though. Uh, Huddersfield continuing to press on with the promotion push, aren't they? Unbeaten in eight games, they're sitting in sixth. Although they have played more games than the other sides, you look at the games they've got coming up and. That could be the true test of how good this Huddersfield side is. But got to give praise to Carlos Corban for getting them to the stage that they are in. One side absolutely flying at the moment is QPR. Five straight wins in all competitions. The latest coming away at Coventry as they won 2-1. I think many QPR fans will admit on a different day it could have been a different result. Because they weren't at the best. But look at the results. They're going really well, aren't they? Just two points off second, Justin.
1: Yeah, yeah, you've got to wonder, haven't you? But as I say, how many times have we said it for QPR this season? The mark of a good team is, is winning when you don't play very well. I think Warburton said it himself after the game that they were um, that they were not poor, um, but they could have been a lot better. Um, but you look at the players that they've got, Chris Willock, arguably the form player in the division at the moment, he's still he's still creating chances in Elias Chair's absence. I mean, who's Elias Chair? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's easy to forget him um, when 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 Chris Willick's in good form. Andre Gray's goal was was really really well. That was the typical Andre Gray we were used to seeing when he was at Burnley and Brentford putting in putting in chances. So yeah, there's still positives to take from from uh, QPR perspective. David Marshall again in, in really good form, but. The question is, how long can it last? Um, Can they keep getting results when they're not performing well? Um, You know, at some point that tide might turn. They can't keep outperforming. You know, it's going to catch up with them. But for now, they're keeping in keeping uh, keeping up with the with with the top two, which is a very good pace to be.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. There's obviously a long way to go in the season, and a lot could change in that time. Whether QPR will finish in the top six or even top two is still up for debate, but with so many teams aiming for those positions, it it will be tricky. Whatever the case, I think Mark Warburton and the players don't get the praise they deserve from outsiders, including us, for how well they're doing. You've got to keep in mind, up until 12 months ago, QPR had been a bottom-half side, relegation-flirting side for about three or four years, weren't Mm. they? And at times, it did look like they were on a one-way track to League One, but... Here they are now with a very good chance of promotion. Also with a squad which hasn't had much spent on it. Most of them free transfers and have only had actual money spent on a few of them. I mean, 750 grand for Chris Willock. I'm not (laughs) sure there's been a better spent 750 grand at championship level ever. Uh, But consider the amount they've spent and you compare it to some of the teams around them. They've been consistent all season. Sure, there's been a few question marks over some performances they've put in. But results speak for themselves.
1: No, you're absolutely right and when we're talking for value for money signings Albert Adoma as well at right wing back he's yeah. a man transformed he's been so consistent and so good and he's popping up with assists and goals as well so even at the, the ripe old age of 33, 34 he's, he's been around for a very, very long time it feels um, yeah. QPR have got some really, really good assets in their squad and they might not get much money for Albert Adoma if they do come to selling which I hope they don't because he's he's a character and he's a great guy Um They're they're performing well, Um, and as long as individuals perform well, keep keep getting results. Spot on.
0: Quick word on Coventry, Justin. I feel a bit sorry for Jordan Shipley. A beautiful goal from him, but ultimately fruitless. One win in eight now. Chance conversion has been the
1: main gripe with them, hasn't it? And just continues to be a problem. Yeah, you look at that Huddersfield game, um, and they ended up drawing in the last minute. Um, created a lot of chances, failed to convert them. You look at this one, sort of a similar narrative. Had created a lot of chances. David Marshall, as I said, was in really good form, um, and they have just failed to convert. They're going to come. They're going to have these moments where they, they struggle uh, with consistency. We know that it's the making of a sort of a mid-table team, but as we know, Coventry fans won't be too angry at a mid-table finish after what was a, a flirt with relegation last season for two thirds. Um, or three quarters of the season last season, so it is progress. But as you say, a lot to still uh, improve upon at, at Coventry. Yeah, definitely. Birmingham
0: got their first win in seven games at home to Barnsley. That finished two one. Got to be said, if there's a team you want to play when you're desperate for a win, it's Barnsley, isn't it? Yeah, they don't
1: they don't offer too much. They had a couple of moments, but it was a relatively comfortable game again. I know, uh, I think kind of sales. Force a pretty good save out of uh, Neil Etheridge but again there wasn't too much to shout about from a Barnsley perspective and um, it's it's good that certain players that have come in on Al Hernandez is already having an impact you look at the way Djokovic brought it down the board and, and, and slid him in they've missed that quality at times this season from from wide players from creative players um, you know McGree and Chong were very very good obviously Chong getting injured isn't ideal McGree numbers wise didn't produce too often mm. um, but if Fernandez can keep adding that quality from out wide, then they're going to keep creating chances and and scoring goals, which is is a major positive. And again, Scott Hogan in a good run of form is a a massive positive because he's, again, a very good poacher, just needs chances. Mm, The game was a
0: bit of a sideshow, really, to the protest that was happening from Birmingham fans against their ownership. But we'll talk about that in the news, Blues fans. So stick around for that. I I do feel sorry for them, but at the same time, I feel sorry for another set of fans in Barnsley because... Other clubs are obviously in more perilous situations. um, But Barnsley are also in a perilous situation they won't get spoken about, which is quite sad, really. You've got Mm -hmm. this club who were in the playoffs last season and then this season are going down without a whimper, aren't they? They're they're going to finish quite comfortably behind a club who's had a 21-point deduction. And I imagine as a fan, it's just deflating to watch each week. I can't remember the last time I watched Barnsley and thought they deserved at least a point from a game. They have been... So bad. The manager, Poiraz Barki hasn't shown at all that he's good enough to manage at this level. The squad needs new players, but the recruitment this season has been shocking. And they brought in quite a few players. Yeah. None of them have worked. It has been a proper mess, and I'd say hopefully they can bounce back next season. But I'm not sure if they will or not, because the club seems broken behind the scenes, Justin.
1: Yeah, until that gets sorted, it's very hard to see anything improving on the pitch. Um, you, you talk about us bargaining, quite rightly, he's not really shown anything um, to, to convince us that you might keep Barnsley in the league. But at the same time, when you're working with what you've got at Barnsley, it's very, very difficult. So, uh, you know, you've got to feel sorry with the fans. They've had a, a rough time of it this season. Obviously, a stand being closed, which is really frustrating for them. You know, a lack of, a lack of investment, key players leaving, manager leaving, and they haven't, at any point, Convinced us, convinced supporters, or that's the only, i speaking about the ownership, convinced us and convinced supporters that they want to keep moving up, um, they're going to take a step backwards, which is unfortunate. And as you say, they're going down without a whimper. Yeah, definitely.
0: Let's go over to Wales, Justin, where fans are allowed back in stadiums again. That was good to see was won it. It mm. meant Swansea fans could see a screamer from Ryan Manning, which gave them a 1 0 win against Preston. Did you enjoy that strike, Justin, or is cynical Justin just going to say he smashed it from 30
1: yards and it's gone in? I say that I I saw a a good goal this morning at football uh, obviously uh, in the Sunday League which was a very very good finish and I I celebrated it like it was the best goal in the world so I can't really turn around and say Ryan Mannings was just a smashing hope there's there's arguments we had that it was but I'm not going to take anything away from him Jordan Shipley's goal for Coventry was better there was a lot more on that um, a lot more technique to it but very good goal from a good player
0: yeah very good goal. We've been some very good goals this weekend in January. Swansea's first win in five. So Russell Martin will be satisfied with that, won't he?
1: Yeah, and again, they, they had a lot of a lot of the ball. They created a lot of chances. Quite ironic, actually, that the goal came from a 35-yard screamer. Um, they deserved the win in the end. Um, and it's something, as you say, a, a bit of relief, I think, because they weren't looking over the shoulder, but you start to wonder could they get pulled into a relegation battle as well. Don't think that was ever the case with Swansea, but the less you pick up points, um, obviously the Patterson situation isn't ideal either, you do start to, do start to wonder.
0: Yeah, Patterson's situation that you talking about there is Jamie Patterson because he's had a contract dispute hasn't he, with mm-hmm. the club and he said he wasn't in the right frame of mind to play in this game, so that's a big loss for Swansea. Hopefully he does go back onto the pitch soon because he has been brilliant for them this season but for Preston it's Ryan Lowe's first loss as manager the final game of the weekend that's actually happened was Blackpool's 1-0 victory at home to Millwall Shane Lavery got the goal Uh, anything you've got on this game Justin it's two very mid-table sides
1: yeah I mean we've got to praise Blackpool for the amount of chances they created um I thought Lavery was was incredibly lively. It felt like he was back to his best. He's really good at taking up positions between centre halves, a bit like Michael Owen in his heyday. Um, that's not a comparison; it's just a reference. Um, before anyone has a go at me, it's not, um, what you're saying, um, not fair. <laughs> but you know, the more they can get Lavery into those positions, the more chances he's going to create. And again, ironically, his goal didn't come from one of them, but he showed that he's a good poacher as well. Um, but yeah, Blackpool fully deserved the three points. Um, Millwall. Did they offer much? Not really. They didn't create too many chances, which again is really frustrating because we've always seen Millwall as one of these sides that can push on, but again, it doesn't look like they are, which you probably start to question whether Rowett's the right man for, for the job. Well, you say that. I've seen
0: every time Millwall seem to lose, this starts under the chorus of calls for Rowett to get sacked because Millwall fans are obviously not happy with how unremarkable their club's doing at the moment. Would argue that some have been In worse situations than Millwall Mm. considering um, past seasons they've had but at the same time they are losing key players now aren't they so yeah they were missing a load of players for this game too so yeah uh, not too much to be happy about from a Millwall perspective I suppose Uh, the other game this weekend is a proper thigh rubber between Blackburn and Middlesbrough that's happening on Monday so we'll discuss that in Thursday's episode right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And where else are we going to start other than Derby, eh? For any neutrals out there who are sick to death about of hearing about this, I completely understand. We won't ramble on for as much as we did in midweek. Um, but finally, some good news for Derby fans, Justin. According to the Press Association, the private investment firm... Carlisle Capital has made a formal bid to buy Derby. Most importantly, they'd be willing to take on the club despite the legal claims against them, which has been the thing putting off other buyers. This could be massive news for the future of Derby County, couldn't it, Justin?
1: Yeah, it's big, obviously. We know from from reports and the EFL and Derby's administrators saying themselves that the the only thing blocking a sale is the uh, the claims against Derby from Borough and Wickham. So an owner who's willing to take those claims on... um, is only going to progress uh, things off the pitch for Derby which is absolutely needed because again you're talking about Hull earlier about how much a takeover can lift a club Um, you know you've got to start to wonder if if the takeover does happen soon for Derby can they can they keep on improving as well Um, so hopefully it gets sorted very very quickly.
0: Meanwhile, Middlesbrough released an open statement where they had five questions for Derby's administrators. A very critical statement of that, especially when it came to things like accusing a, the administrators of leaking things to the media. The one thing that caught my eye was the last question, asking them how much they've charged the club in terms of fees, <laughs> which is a fair question to ask, isn't it? It'll be yeah. very interesting to find out. Um, we said on Thursday that it's all very finger-pointy, isn't it? Justin just seems to be getting worse, really.
1: Yeah, th- it, it's, it, it, to be completely honest it's pathetic isn't it you've got the AFL sort of going hey it's not us it's not us and then you've got Derby pointing the finger at Burra, Borough, Borough pointing the finger at, um, at Derby it's all very playground and it's not what you expect from organisations who are as pointed out with Derby Borough hundreds of years old hundreds over a hundred years old um, it's, not, it's not good uh, for anyone um, that this keeps happening as I say a resolution needs to be found quickly because as I say the more finger pointing that goes on, the less, the less they look poor, essentially in the public eye, or all, all parties involved.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a war between Derby and Middlesbrough at the moment, isn't it? And that's <laughs> transferred over to the fans as well. Um, it's going to make the game next month very interesting, isn't it? Uh, it would, yeah. Uh, <sighs> I need to be careful what I say here, don't I? Otherwise I'm going to get mouth-foaming Middlesbrough fans sending me messages again. <laughs> well, actually, that's going to happen, whatever the case, isn't it? I'm not trying to play peacekeeper here at all, Justin. All I'll say is all the Derby fans I've spoken to in recent weeks are fully aware of who deserves the majority of the blame for this situation. It's Mel Morris, isn't it? Any Derby fan who says anything different is absolutely deluded. The EFL deserve a lot of blame for how they've let the situation get to this point. And various other things which have contributed to Derby being where they are. Middlesbrough's part in this is minor. Um, We're talking less than 1% of the blame. But in my view, Steve Gibson still deserves to be criticised. We can argue all day about whether the legal claims are valid or not. That's not for us to decide. It's up to lawyers and very important legal people to decide. What I don't get is Middlesbrough fans blindly supporting what their club is doing, no matter what. And it seems like a lot will be very happy to let Derby County die as long as it means Steve Gibson gets what he wants, which is just sad, isn't it? I've had some Middlesbrough fans contact me to say they actually think what their their club's doing is wrong. I applaud them for honesty because this is bigger than a spat between two clubs, isn't it? But a lot of fans just don't seem to understand that. So I doubt what I'm saying will actually change anything, but whatever. We have got Johnny from the Borough Breakdown podcast coming on next week. Well, who will give a Middlesbrough side uh, a perspective of what's going on. On a side note, EFL chairman Rick Parry says they will work day and night to find a solution to Derby's problems and I should bloody hope so too. Right, moving on. Birmingham fans have been protesting against their owners. It overshadowed their win against Barnsley. It's after years of the club basically doing nothing. Justin, what have you made of the protests that have been happening recently?
1: I think, you know, when we... Uh, spoke about the European Super League um, last year about how fan power was so important um, again Birmingham City fans are showing exactly why fan power is so important, why fan represent, rep- representation on boards is so important because again you look at how Birmingham have spent their money um, you know on players, yes they've wasted a lot of money but then you you, you read about claims not claims, it's it, it's actual fact um, you know directors spending money on Netflix subscriptions and luxury bags, etc. It really, it just doesn't sit well with, with anyone. And um, quite frankly, to allow a club to um, to be doing that is, is, isn't right. And as I say, fans of Birmingham City deserve answers. They deserve a lot more. They're a very passionate fan base. One of the best um, set of away fans in the country. They back the team um, to the hill and they deserve a lot more than, than what they're getting. Um, and what they're getting is threadbare cheap signings when directors are treating themselves to luxuries shall we say Um, it's not it's not it's not good and I hope that again a resolution could be fine I don't know what that resolution is going to be but keep protesting keep voicing your opinion and keep getting at it because at some point someone's going to answer
0: yeah you're absolutely right when you've got a big club like Birmingham who haven't finished higher than 17th since 2016 that's bad the frustrations are going to boil over and rightly rightfully so from an outsider's point of view, it feels like the club is often being treated as a bit of a plaything, not yeah. just because you've got some, you know, using expenses on various different things. But it's like the owners pay attention to it every so often, but not much else. It did make me laugh when I was looking at what was said during this meeting between the club and the fans. You've got Craig Gardner, the technical director, saying, We will spend money. That's not a good promise. There's more to a club than just big expensive transfers to try and appease fans. You've got the stadium falling apart. You've got a squad made up of fairly average players. Fans don't really know who owns the club as well. It's also worth pointing out Birmingham have spent money before and it's been wasted. So if they do spend money in transfers, what's the point? Those in charge quite clearly don't have a clue what they're doing. And we've spoken to Blues fans ever since we've started this podcast, haven't we? Nothing has changed in the three years we've been doing this. Birmingham fans deserve better than this, and you're absolutely right. Keep, keep protesting. We'll always support a fan base when they're in the situation that they're in, because it's fan power, and you're quite right. If fan power doesn't exist, football's dead. Um, we'll finish off quickly on Transfer news, Justin. There has been not much to speak of, really, in truth. Bill Wall have signed Oli Burke, unknown from Sheffield United. Caught my eye. What did you think mm. of that one?
1: I think he can add something different for, for Millwall something quite important that they're missing as well he's not like Jed Wallace but he offers some of the same attributes as Jed Wallace he's, he's quick he's, he's good with the ball at his feet still quite raw um, his career restored a little bit so hopefully Millwall can see the best out of him and um, he can be the difference between them being a very boring mid-table team to something a little bit more yeah he's become a bit of a joke figure
0: T over the years because mm-hmm. he's had all these expensive transfers and He's never really played well anywhere, has he? Apart from when he first started out at Forest. But he's got the stature, and not he? I, I'd compare him a bit to Ben Brarrant and Diaz in the way that you can see there's a player there, but it's all a confidence thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Don't think Holly Burke's going to get any calls up for Chile at any point. But at the same time, you can see he's a big lad. There, uh, He has moments, very small moments, but moments of talent. And you can see there's a player there, but clearly his confidence is just slaughtered. Yeah. Um, but I think Millwall could be a good home for him and if he finds yeah. a settled home uh, gets given a run of games by Gary Rowett could be a brilliant move but plenty of others have tried that in the past and it's not worked unfortunately has it Cardiffs have signed Tommy Doyle unknown from Man City, 20 year old midfielder, Stoker brought in Jaden Philogene Bedace on loan from Villa. I'm guessing I've butchered that pronoun- pronunciation. <laughs> Juan Castillo's loan from Chelsea to Birmingham has ended. I think he's gone on loan to Charlton or somewhere else. Bristol City midfielder Tariq Backinson has gone on loan to Ipswich. Surprised me a bit that one. He's been playing a bit for Bristol City and to. And finally, John Dardy Bob Varson has finally left Millwall to go to Bolton. I think he was one of those players you completely forgot existed, Justin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, when did he come up? It would have been two or three weeks ago. His name is mentioned, um, probably when, uh, when Omar was on the show. But, yeah, he, he completely forgot about him. And um, I have nothing really to say about him. Good luck to him at Bolton, so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> play. what else can you say
0: about <laughs> <Chandaldi by Valdson. laughs> apart from... Oh, you're still here, are you? Yeah. Um, it's time for the polls this is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship first question we asked the listeners was this Justin how many points will Fulham get this season 85 to 90 90 to 95 95 to 100
1: or 100 plus I said at the start of the season that they might break Reading's record now it might be difficult but if I stick by 100 plus then I've got it yeah I'll stick with it I I
0: think they'll get over 100. I don't think they'll break Reddin's record. I think they'd have to win every game for the rest of the season for that to happen. I I don't know how it would work out mathematically. Um, But I can see them getting over 100 because they're clearly the best team in the division, aren't they? Mm. 33% of people said 90 to 95. 31% said 95 to 100. 20% said 100 plus. 16% said 85 to 90. Where does Steve Cooper rank in best managers in the championship? Top 1, top 3, top 5, top 10.
1: Very Brian Clough, isn't it? Top one. Um, I will say top five, probably. Uh, I think it'd be, be very kind to say he's the best, but I'd put him in my top five.
0: I'd go as far as to say top three. You know, I reckon if he was in charge of a Millwall, not a Millwall, uh, Fulham, for example, he'd still get the same results as Marco Silva is doing, or maybe even better. Um, so I'd definitely go top three for me. 40% of people said top five. 23% said top 3, 23% said top 10, 14% said top 1. Then there's an argument to be made about top 1. Um and finally, have you done dry January this year? No, yes and failed, yes and I'm still going. Uh
1: no, I haven't I was going to say like I've I've had quite a few drinks this week actually, it's definitely not dry January. Yeah. God! I've gone for a damp <laughs> January,
0: where I don't drink as much, but I'll have a little tipple every so often. Bit moist. Uh, seven uh, <laughs> moist January. Oh God, that's disgusting. <laughs>
2: I try. Seventy-eight
0: percent of people said no. Thirteen uh, percent said yes, and I'm still going. Eight nine percent, sorry, have said yes and have failed. I've tried before and have failed. I don't think I've ever actually completed a dry January before. It's just, you know, when you've been working all week, Justin, you get to Friday and you're like, God, I really fancy a pint right now. It's just got to be done. Right, now it's time for this.
2: Hi, Simon Grayson here.
0: Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shore and View, and Patch Warner from the Bristol City podcast, Three Peeps in a Podcast. Simon, asks the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight Americans with the most Premier League appearances, and Johnny would say Brad Friedel, that's one down, and Patch would say Tim Howard, that's another down. But if Justin would say Eddie Johnson, then he'd be out. So what you need to do chaps is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So of course the African Cup of Nations is on right now, isn't it? Can you name me the eight African countries which have been represented the most times in the Premier League? Want to scratch your head out. Um, Justin, we'll go to you first. Can you name me a country which, which has been represented quite a few times in the Premier League? I'll go with the easy one, Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast, that has produced the third most players for an African country. 37 players, including Didier Drogba, Yaya Torre, and of course, Jovino. Johnny, we'll go to you next. Can you name me another African country which has been represented quite a bit in the Premier League?
3: I don't don't know why this one's pulling for this one, but I'm going to go for Ghana. I've got a feeling that Ghana's up there.
0: It absolutely is. 28 players is produced, including Michael Essien, Tony Boa, and Emmanuel Frimpong. Patch, your go. I'll go with Nigeria. Yep, yeah, Nigeria has produced the most Premier League parents, uh, players, 51 in total, with the likes of JJ Okocha, Yakubu and Toribo West. Uh, Justin, back to you. You've got five to go.
1: Yeah, we've, we've gone for the three easy ones here. Um, my mind's gone completely blank. Um, it's a big continent and I can't think of any countries, uh, Egypt...
0: Egypt hasn't. Surprisingly, ah, they've only produced yeah. twelve players, which I thought was quite surprising. I'd have said them more. Um, but Justin's out, so that means it's down to Johnny and Patch. You've got five to go. Johnny, you'll go. I'm taking a big
3: risk on this one, but I'm, again, I've got a feeling. Is it is Algeria in there?
0: Algeria is just. In there.
2: Oh, it's, oh, produ- oh,
0: it's eighth. 17 players it's produced, of course, the likes of Riyad Mahrez, Saeed Benrahma and Hamir Baratza. Um Pat, your go. Um, yeah, scraping the barrel now. Uh, Senegal. Senegal has actually produced the second most players. 40 oh, players wow. in total. The likes of Demba Bar, Sadio Mane and Ali Diar. Uh, you have got three to go. Justin is pissing himself at some of the players I'm bringing out here. <laughs> Johnny, you'll go.
3: I'm absolutely stumped now. I thought I would pulled it out of Bagway Algeria, but I forgot about Senegal.
0: <laughs> We've had Ivory Coast, haven't we? So... You've still got the sixth, seventh. Have I missed one here? Oh, and fourth.
3: I can only think of two players from it, but I've gone stumped. I'm going to go for Togo. I'm going to be out. I'm going to go for Togo.
0: Togo is so far down the list. I haven't even <laughs> really listed it down yet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's such a big place, uh, and I, there's all these countries, and now I can't remember any of them.
0: It, it, it's less than six players, or fewer than six players, I should say. Um, Adebayor, I'm struggling to name any others, uh, but Adebayor Johnny, was the only one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pat, you are the last man standing, you got three to go. Okay, Cameroon, yes, oh. Cameroon is fourth, 31 players with the likes of Lorraine, Joel Matip, and George Elokobi um, you've got two to go. <laughs> uh,
2: you've got six and seventh left patch. How about South Africa? South
0: Africa is not on the list. They oh! produced 15 players when you needed more than 17. The countries you were looking for were Morocco. 20 players they produced, including Adel Tarat, Hakim, Ye- Hakim Ziyech, and Karim el Amadi, And, uh, the last one was Democratic Republic of Congo, or Zaire, as it used to be known. 19 players, Yannick Bellassi, Lamana, Luar Luar and Jibani Nonda. Um, other countries include Mali. They only just missed out, but I can't even name a single Mali player. Um, Tunisia, but oh, it's Tunisia have only produced six players. Has that surprised anyone or just me? I feel like they've produced a few mm. over the years. That mm. yeah, um, sounds
3: about the same amount as Tongo, to be fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go, chaps. You've fallen to Simon Grayson's hate play. I can't remember the last time anyone actually won on this. It's been very tricky recently. Mm. Simon Grayson's been particularly hateful. Uh, there we go. That's another episode of the Second Tier wrapped up for another weekend. We'll be back again on Thursday to go through all the midweek games, including Blackburn v Middlesbrough on Monday night. But a quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel. The Shoreham View, thank you for your time today.
3: No problem. Thank you
2: for having me. Really enjoyed it.
0: No problem, mate. Patch Warner from the Bristol City Podcast Three Peeps in a podcast. Thank you for your time today.
2: Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure.
0: As always a pleasure. This has been the second tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilkes. I've been just a peach. Thank you for listening.